Lord God Almighty, we do thank you that in the midst of the all in all, that you are the Prince of Peace, that you are our Shalom, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we are experiencing, you are that peace that passeth all understanding. And we thank you for it today, that this peace has been made tangibly real for us because of this day that we celebrate where you had made up your mind that you was going to do that for which you came down the stairway of heaven to complete. Now, Lord, come and be with me. Bless the words of my heart, the meditations of my thoughts. Take away the fear, the impediments, and anything that would hinder your word from going forth. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to, to turn me into another man by the power of your spirit that you would anoint me from on high. This I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, please stand to your feet as we're going to just jump right in. I got a lot to unpack here today. Thank you, our worship team. Soon and very soon, we shall be across the street. And by God's grace and mercy, hopefully we will have um, A1 sound. But in the meantime, we must keep, keep our face like Jesus. Here we go, Matthew 16, 13 to 23. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, which means hell will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. And from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to, the, to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns but human concerns, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, go into the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord, the boss of heaven and earth, needs them and he will send them at once. This took place so that he was spoken through. The prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a coat, the fold of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees 
and spurted them on the road. And then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Here we go. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. Today is Palm Sunday. The week before the week that we call the Passion Week or Holy Week. Palm Sunday is where Jesus set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, meaning that he had determined to complete the work for which he had come to do. No matter the sparks of opposition, the difficulties and adversity he was going to encounter. It would be an understatement here in saying this, that we have reached some kind of turning point here in America. And it's very hard, and I mean very hard here in America, to find solidarity and common ground in this present generation on basic beliefs that were held for generations among the human race. But for those of us who are sitting here today, who are professing Christians, somewhere on your earthly journey, pilgrimage, as we would call it, sojourning, that you have come to believe in this gospel story concerning the life of Jesus. You've come to put your faith in that. You believe in that. If you are a genuine Christian today, you believe that. But nevertheless, it seems that in every generation, the question arises again and again and again and again and again. The question arises, who is the son of man? Who is this Jesus? Why did he come to the earth? Why did he die? Why was he so determined to make his way to Jerusalem, knowing that he was going what was going to happen to him? Why was he so determined to do that? I'm going to do my best in answering that. But here in our text today, we see that this Jesus is in a place that Matthew chapter 16 calls Caesarea Philippi, which is located at the northernmost border of Israel. Sandra and I were supposed to go to Israel in actually this month in April. But because of COVID-19 and all the above, Israel is not letting anyone come in. And so uh, it's backed up. And so we had to delay it. And so we got to decide whether or not we're going to go to next year. But one, we think one of the stipulations to even be able to fly come next year, 2022, um, everyone has to be vaccinated with all of the vaccinations. So Sandra and I don't know for sure. Uh, we're going to do that. So we may not ever get to see Israel, the, the Jerusalem. But I am going to see Jerusalem. Make no mistake about it, because <laughs> the word of God says he saw holy Jerusalem coming out. So I'm going to see it. <laughs> I mean, I see it on this side. But I, when I am get vaccinated, I'm going to be vaccinated with the blood of the lamb who takes away all of my sins. But nevertheless, we see here in the text that Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, which is the northernmost border of Israel. It's at the farthest part of Israel you can go. And so here I put in my notes, geographically, this is the place where Israel boundary ends in the world where religious pluralism abounds. Pluralism means many, lots. It abounds because we see there is the temple of the Syrian god Baal, which symbolizes the universal God of fertility in the Lord. And there we see the temple of the Greek god there in Caesarea Philippi. We see the Greek god Pan which symbolizes sexual lust and desire. Pan means all, everything. Nothing is forbidding. It's in a pan state of mind, there is nothing that is forbidding. 
Man, do we not see that playing itself out now? I will come to that later. Sexual lust and desire. The Greek god Pan. Half goat, half man is what he looks like. And then you have in Caesarea Philippi, you see the temple Roman godhead of Caesar himself who stood there as a temple who therefore called themselves a god. Caesar of Augustus, the whole Caesar clan, we're gods. This is one of the reasons why Christians were persecuted in the early church, because they would not call the Caesars God. We only have one God, and his name is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. But it's in this location where Jesus puts two of the most important questions to every disciple who seeks to follow him genuinely. Jesus puts these questions to you. Who do people, who do they say that the Son of Man is in Fairfield, in Birmingham, in Syria, in Jerusalem? Who do they say that the Son of Man is in verse 13? In verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, this is important to understand. These disciples reply in their response to Jesus as they answer him. Because their answers reveal that the people in whom they are interacting with are people who have some biblical understanding of the Old Testament, of the books of the law of Moses, the Psalms and the prophets. For them to be able to answer John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, they must be reading their Bible to be able to understand, to be able to give an answer like that in whom the disciples were interacting with. Because Jesus says, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they say John the Baptist. Well, they must be reading their Bible or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So therefore, there are not people from the world where the God Pan, which represents all and everything is governing their worldview. They're not those kinds of people, the people who worship Pan. And then all of Pan is governing their life and their worldview. And somehow these people have come to a biblical worldview and therefore they know the scriptures. And so therefore they are able to answer the disciples. He's either John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. But we know that the people of the world, they would not answer in such a way. And so therefore, I make the argument here today that one of the reasons that we're finding it so very difficult, it's so very hard to find solidarity in these times on basic beliefs, male and female, a boy and a girl. It almost seems foolish to even have to have these conversations, but it's it finding it more increasingly, more and more difficult to find basic solidarity on beliefs that civilizations have believed down through the generations to be as norm. But I would say that one of the reasons that we're finding it difficult to find solidarity is because the pagan world of the religious pluralism has invaded every sector of our Western society with this plurality of anti-biblical tenets that we see happening every day all around us. And we have the pagan worldly theories. We have them right now, these pagan worldly theories that are infiltrating the church like never before. And they are destroying the purity, the peace, and the unity that we have in Jesus, which was the very reason he came to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey that Palm Sunday. But these pagan theories and philosophies are strong in our world. And they're gaining more and more strength. And this is why it's so important for us to understand the next part of the sermon that I'm about to unfold. And so therefore, Jesus in his infinite wisdom there in Caesarea Philippi, his infinite wisdom, he knows all things. 
He knows when and how to ask the right question. So he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Who did the world say who I am? But now he turns his attention to his disciples. But you, he asked, verse 15, he asked them, who do you say? No longer what the world says, no longer what the government says, but who do you say that the son of man am? Who do you say that I am, Jesus says. And so this question is a question to all the disciples of him. If you are a follower of Jesus, this question is to you today. And to the disciples of then and now and forevermore. He asked this question to all of us. Not just the disciples of then, but the disciples of now. He asked the professing church, those who are followers of the way, those who seek to abide in his eternal truth that does not change. Those who seek to find life that is in him, true life, Zoe life, that can only be found in him because in him is the light of all men. In him is life. He is the path to life. There is no life outside of him. And Jesus presents this question to all of us. Who do we say that the son of man is? And we must always biblically, correctly answer this question in a world all around us that is encroaching. We must always answer this question correctly in the world that surrounds us with many of the theories and philosophies that bombard our minds every single day. We must answer this question correctly. And we know the answer because Peter says correctly by saying, he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The word of God tells us that Peter doesn't come to this conclusion by his own self-help and osmosis. But he arrived at this understanding, Jesus says, that flesh and blood did not reveal this to Peter. But my father in heaven revealed this to you. He opened your mind to see that I am who I am, that I am the son of God, that I am the Messiah. Why is that so important? Because this Messiah means that he is the one that God had promised to sin in the Garden of Eden. Where the first man and his wife, we know the story, they transgress against the command of God, God told them not to eat from this certain tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they ate from it. And so therefore, they broke the law of God. And God in his grace, God in his love, this is where we see grace first shows up in the word of God. In Genesis 3.15, God makes a gospel promise to the first man and woman. He makes a gospel promise. He says, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. God is talking to the serpent. He's talking to the devil. He's talking to the great adversary. And God says, and I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring, Satan, and her offspring. I have here in my notes, God says there's going to be a cosmic war. And if you've been above watching the TV, you've been on any social media, and you can see that that war, that cosmic war, has picked up steam. In the video by Little Nas X, it describes it vividly. It's so he goes back to the garden, and he's trying to depict to all of us how he says it went down. But thanks be to God that we have the word of God to tell us what went down in the Garden of Eden. But you know, a lot of people who don't know their Bible, they're going to believe the little Nas X video story. And many of them are going to go that way. But here today, we know the story. And so God says, I'm going to make a promise I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will strike your head. But you will strike his heel. 
God is referring to the cross, which we'll get to next week when Jesus dies. He's referring to the cross. You're going to strike his head. But you're going to strike his heel, Lucifer. You're going to strike his heel. You're going to kill him at the cross. You're going to kill him. But three days later, <laughs> he got up. <laughs> three days later, he's going to strike your head. He's going to crush you. But you're going to strike his heel. But we see here in our text today that he's in Jerusalem Riding on the donkey, lowly donkey, in order to do what? In order to fulfill the prophecy and the promise for which God had sent him to do. So he makes his way towards Jerusalem, riding on the donkey to become the righteous for the unrighteous so that he might bring us to God. Second Corinthians 521 says that he will become for our sake. He made him to be sin. Here's the key. But he knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, because without his blood shed upon us, we are not righteousness in our own strength. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You cannot make yourself righteous. You can only be righteous when you believe the gospel story from heart with faith and believe and trust and rely upon him. And then by faith, he grants you his righteousness where you're made a new creature and the old man and the old woman has passed away. Behold, you become a new man or a new woman. This is the gospel story. But here's the key. Why is it so important that we continue to believe and always be diligent and always answering this question that Jesus put to his disciples then and to those who live now and to those in that day on Palm Sunday who were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. They were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They were saying the word Hosanna means save us now, Lord. Save us. Save us, Lord. They were crying out on that Sunday on Palm Sunday, as they laid branches all over the road and they laid down their cloaks and their clothes and they cut down tree branches, they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us. Deliver us, they cried out. But you know what? Many on that day, on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, and even to this very day, many on that day cried out Hosanna on Sunday. But on Monday, they were canceling Jesus. They canceled him. Oh, no, it's not the kind of savior, savior we want. But on this day, on Palm Sunday, they're crying out, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. But on Monday... That same crowd that cried out will turn. You know, the word of God is real. And this is why I'm going to turn a corner here because I preached this sermon early in the week and went for my walk yesterday riding the bike. And, and I think the Lord is trying to say to us, that's why I'm asking the question, who do we say that the son of man is? Peter said, you are the Messiah. You're the one that God promised to deal with sin, to deal with what's, what's really wrong with us. But how quickly and short-minded we are and that we become. And here they're saying on that day, on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. But how quickly they turn. Well, this is so important. So, Carl, you can put this back up. Matthew um, 16, verses 21 to um, 23. I want to show this. This is important. Peter gave a great profession. But soon as he gave the profession that came to him by the Holy Spirit, look what happens. How quickly, that's why we must maintain, we must maintain a diligence 
No matter in every generation, no matter what the pagan gods and theories that come at us, we must maintain a diligent profession of faith. So look at the disciples. And I will pray that we find ourselves here because I see it every day. I see it in my own heart and I see it among the church. Verse 21. And from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples. He begins to lay out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. He had set his face like a flint to go to old Golgotha, to go up that hill and to be killed, the just for the unjust. He said, I got to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the religious people, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter, the one who made the great profession of faith, took him aside and began to say to him and he began to rebuke the Lord himself. Oh, no, God. I, I, you got it all mixed up, man. Uh, you, that's got to be a better way than going to the cross. We can fix it some other way. That's got to be some other kind of program that God can institute to save mankind. You don't have to die the just for the unjust. So Peter began to rebuke him. He says, oh, no, may this never happen to you. May you never die. May you never make it to the cross. Think about what Peter said. May you never make it to the cross. If you go to Mark, the parallel verse to this chapter here, you see Jesus saying to all the disciples were saying the same thing, what Peter was saying. It wasn't just Peter. It was disciples. And I would say it's sometimes us as well. We think there's a better way than the cross. So they begin to rebuke him. So, oh, no, Lord, there cannot be a better way. And Jesus turned and he told Peter, get behind me. He calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Slootfoot. Get behind me, Beelzebub. Get behind me, Serpent. Get behind me. Why? Here's the key. For you are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking. You're not thinking. You're not thinking about God's concerns. But human concerns. And here's where I turn the corner. God's concerns, human concerns. Remember, they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Save us, Lord. Save us. But we know from reading the scriptures, those praises were turned to crucify him. Kill him. That's not for them. That's for us. It's not just for the disciples then. That's for the disciples for all times. How quickly we turn from the story of the gospel. And we buy into a false gospel. My heart is breaking from what I see coming from those who supposedly supposed to hail the word. And I look at their tweets. They are canceling Jesus. They're cursing him. They have come up with some other remedy for the condition of mankind. But they would say it. Well, we, they're praising him on Sunday and they're cursing him on Monday. Hosanna! Through their tweets and through their posts and what they're saying, this gospel that Jesus says, oh, no, I must go. Peter's rebuking the Lord. May you never go to the cross. And I understand that because we as humans, we think we think there's something better than Jesus dying for the unjust. We think because the truth of the man, we don't think we're unjust. We don't think we're falling short of his glory. We don't think that we're unrighteous in his sight. We think that we're beautiful and that he sees us. No, it's not the opposite. He sees our sin. But he loved us that he would give his son to die for us. But how quickly we fall into a trap of believing that the gospel story was just he came to die for the righteous. No, he came to die for the unrighteous. And how quickly we fall. And Peter, oh no, oh no, Lord, no need for the cross. No need for the cross. And this is what's going on with the disciples. 
put here in my notes, what's going on with the disciples then and the disciples of today? What's going on with us? What's going on with the church? This is why I say, because in every generation, the church loses sight and understanding of this gospel story. And we begin to fall for the false gospel remedies. When we lose sight of the true gospel, we go for the false gospels. And I put down here three things. What, when that happens, when we lose sight of, the, of this gospel story, when you lose sight of it for yourself, for your children, your family, these are the things that come about. And here they are. The first thing, and I've saw this all year, 2020, 2019, 2021, it's all the same. When we lose sight of the gospel. We lose sight of why he's making his way to Jerusalem. We're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. As soon as he says, no, I got to go to, to that cross. Well, no. Here's what happens. When we lose sight of that, everything around us becomes a social issue versus a sin issue, which is a sin issue of the heart. So therefore, we start to look to social remedies to fix what's wrong with humanity. That's all you see going on. It's not what's wrong with us, it's what's wrong with them. They're the evil people. They're the what's wrong. We're right, they're wrong. We're, we're good, they're bad. It's, it's, everything becomes a social issue. It's not a heart issue. It's not your heart, it's always their hearts. You're, you're righteous in somehow, but it's always their wickedness. It's always their injustice. It's always what they have done wrong, but it's never what you've done wrong in, in front of a holy and righteous God. And so we come up with social remedies. And you can put your own in there. If we can get this thing right, if we can get this reparation, if we can get this, if we can get that, then, then we can fix humanity. Then we can make it equal. Then we can create the Tower of Babel. We can make it all equal. We don't need no cross. Jesus, you don't have to go because that's for naught. We can do it ourselves. We know better. So social becomes the norm. What's your social? What social thing you're posting about that you're trying to bring in says, no, it's not the cross. It's not Jesus going to the cross that fixes humanity, but there's something that needs to be done by humanity in order for humanity to be fixed. So them disciples, oh no, God, may you not go to the cross. Hosanna, Hosanna. But as soon as he turned to make his way Crucify him. No need of him. And so everything becomes a social issue versus a sin issue. Remember what Chad read in the confession to repentance. It's not what's outside that defiles us. It's what's on the inside. It's not what's out there. It's what's in us. Second thing that happens we think that the governments and the politics of this world can repair the sin issue. You would have to be as blind as blind man can be to not to see that in this last election that God's people fell for the okie doke, that fell for the trap, that politicians alone were going to fix us. They're going to fix humanity. And I must... I fall hard not to fall into it. Sometimes I would fall. It was, all, it was a battle. And I know if it was for me, it was for all of me. I was fighting to keep my heart out of the, looking to politicians to save us, to make us one. And I know there are folks that are not even speaking with each other, Christians, because their guy didn't get in. And so we fall that believing that right and left and in between, this is why God's got me reading four and five. I said, Jesus, I need a king that sits above the right and the left. I need a king who's king. 
I need a king who's king over all. It's not a right or left. It's righteousness. It's truth that doesn't vacillate. It doesn't go up and down. I need a king. And you read Revelation 4 and 5, you see a king with the 24 elders and all the myriad of angels. They're all bound down and worshiping a true king. And his truth is not going up and down. It is steady, able. It is sound. It is eternal. I said, Jesus, I need a king like that. But how often God's people, we fall into the political trap of the governments of this world thinking they can repair the sin issue. And then the third point, when that happens, therefore we end up doing what the disciples did that day in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus asked that question for a reason on that day in Caesarea Philippi, because right there was all the plurality in the theories and the philosophies of this world. He asked the question. He asked the question to the disciples then. He asks now. He asked them then. He asks now. And my third statement here, when we lose sight of this gospel, we end up doing what the disciples did that day in Caesarea Philippi. We try stopping him. And we stop believing that he is the Messiah. Have you stopped believing that he's the Messiah? If you listen to me very carefully, what have I been saying repeatedly over and over in a different way? The Christmas story. Do you believe the story? I didn't ask you about your past and your experience. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came into this world as First, as Matthew 1, 21 says, did you believe that Jesus came into this world, as it says, to sozo, to save us from our sins? That that's why he was born in the manger. Do you believe that story? And so when you stop believing, we try stopping him. We stop believing that he is the Messiah. We stop believing that he is the finished work for all of salvation. We stop believing the gospel itself. And we start to give our ears to false gospels and theories for healing the human condition and bringing conciliation and peace between hostile groups of people. All you got to do is look on social media. It's never what Jesus is and who he does. It's always this big serpent called racism or whatever you want to call it. It's always bigger than Jesus. You know why people can post that? They've stopped believing the gospel. I'm not saying that has been evil. You, know, you gotta be blind not to say there's evil in this world. The whole part of the gospel is that God so loved the world. And first John said God's love overcomes what? A multitude of sins. It's God's love. It's God is the actor of his story. God comes to conquer the sin, not some sins, all sins. And when we stop believing that he is the Messiah, we start to believe all kinds of theories. So it's critical race theory. It's not the gospel no more. If we can figure it out, go back. How far are you going back? You going to go back to Adam and Eve? You go back on, you're going to go back to the Exodus story, the Jews and the Egyptians, the Hebrews. Where are you going to go back to? So we stop believing. I want to put this slide up here from Ephesians chapter four. And. Um, You see that first word there, let all bitterness. Guys, listen to me. I was a bitter person for a long period of my life. Bitter, justice spit upon, beaten up. I had bitterness. You need to ask me, I had it. Everything in there was in my heart. I had it. I had to speak to a Sunday school class today. They were all over the age of 65 and 70. Class at Brightwood. 
As I'm sitting there, I was crying a lot. I'm sitting there seeing all of these old white people. And I'm sitting there, I'm sharing my story. And I'm saying, man, this has got to be the only God could have done this. Because that group of people, that age, that generation, I know they lived through it. And I know where I was. But I'm sitting there sharing my story. And I'm sharing this verse to them. I said, y'all have no idea what God. See, if I ever would have lost heart of the gospel, wouldn't be here. That's why you got to read the scriptures slowly. Paul's not denying that things have been done wrong. That's what bitterness is. It means you've been done wrong. My ex-wife did me wrong. I prayed to her. It's wrong. People do wrong in this world. You get spit upon. You get let go. You get fired. You get ran off the road. It's called life. You get done wrong. Sin is here. But God, is, is sin bigger than you? What's the gospel story for? And so I was bitter. Anybody would be bitter. Getting fired and spit upon because your skin color. Yes, it hurt. It wounded me. And I was a bitter person. And I was angry all the time. And I wrath, civil war, shouting. Is that not what we see on the internet? Shouting. That's what it says. Bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander. Paul says to the Jews and the Gentiles who are Christians, be moved from you, put it away, along with all the malice. Here's the clinker. Paul, how do you do that? Alton, how do you, how you get over the fact that God fired you, called you all those names, you got on your floor and you begged him for your job. He did not care. How do you get over that kind of injustice? Where you go to, where you go by from, tell me where you go to get that out of your human heart. Where do you go when you've been spit? Where you've been going when somebody leaves you and takes all of your money? Where do you go to find peace of mind? It says, be kind and compassionate to one another. He says, forgiving one another. Hold on, Paul. I don't forgive them. You don't know what they did, Paul. You don't know what you did to me, Paul. You weren't there. Paul says, forgive one another. Forgive your white brothers and sisters, Alton. Here's the clinker. Here's that Messiah story. Just as God forgave you in Christ. Huh? Do you know outside of Christ how unrighteous you are? Do you see how unrighteous your heart is? The self-centeredness of it. This is what the gospel. You show me what program in this world can take people who hate each other and make them love each other other than the heart of the gospel. I was sitting there today and weeping like I am now. And I said, God, this is all nothing but the gospel. Some of you wound up. You're so angry about what's been done wrong. I can help you. Ain't nothing gonna get that out of you. But you run into Jesus. If you really want Jesus to show you how sinful you is, ask him. He'll show you. I will promise you, you will run to this altar. You'll beat me at church. You'll weep every Sunday. 
Try it. Lord, I don't know if I really believe how I'm sinful like that. I need a little help of the Holy Ghost. That's what happened to me. Happened to me during my divorce. I thought I was a righteous one. Found out I was wicked beyond my description of my mind. Cause God pulled back the false pretenses and just showed me a snippet of my own heart. And I've been longing for the heart of the gospel. That's what will fix your marriage. That's what will fix your friendships. That will fix your decisions with your family members. It's the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. You got anger. You got malice. You're shouting at someone. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> you did this. You did that. You want to get out of that rut? You want to get out of that constant turmoil and bitterness? Unable to be reconciled with people? Run to him. I said, Lord, I need to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God has been kind and compassionate to you. The problem is, I don't know if we understand God's kindness and compassionate to us. You're here today. He could have let you die in your sins, but he didn't. And so on that day, many of his disciples Oh, no, Lord, there's got to be a better way. And many on that day, on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. You know what they were asking Jesus? Save us from the Romans. It's them. We're not the problem, Jesus. Get rid of those wicked Romans who've taken all our land, stole all of our money, enslaved us. If you get rid of them, Jesus, then we'll be okay. And when Jesus says, that's not where I'm coming to save you from, I come to save you from something else, they turn on him. Give us, give us um, Barabbas, political leader, and that's what happens with us. We turn from Jesus, we want our best life now. We want, want reparations now. Give us Barabbas. I don't want him. He's, we thought he was going to come and deliver us from them. Jesus said, no, I couldn't deliver you from that, which is inside of you. And they said, oh, no, no, we don't need you. Crucify him. So when we read it next week, crucify him, the crowd says. What do you want? Crucify him, Pilate. But you just said, Hosanna. Church has been saying Hosanna. But God wants us to see. Verse 32. That's the hope of the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Palm Sunday, Lord, you set your face to go to that Last week, here's the funny thing, Lord, I would have said that I would have never turned on you. But the truth of the matter, Lord, I've done more than that. I've turned on you many times. I would have been right there with the crowd. I would have wanted a, a salvation that dealt with my enemies not a salvation that dealt with my sin against your holiness. We think that what's wrong with the world is out there. <laughs> if we fix out there, we fix the world. Lord, I thank you that you didn't allow the human persuasion to stop you from making your way to the cross to address what we, within ourselves, we would never address. We're just like our first parents. We were always running high with our sins. But I thank you, Jesus, that you're God that always comes into our gardens looking for us 
and asking us, where are we? Why are we hiding when you can see us from afar already? And I thank you, Lord, that you didn't stop coming towards us. In fact, you had to drag us to yourself so that we might profess with faith in our hearts that you are the Christ. So we can't even boast in that. And we cannot boast today. I cannot boast in my ability or whatever it is to forgive. I can only boast in you. Who reached out, saved me, opened my eyes, showed me how wicked and sinful I was. That even in my poverty, physical poverty, that I was not righteous in anyone or any person or anybody, that I was filthy, had an evil heart that was bent towards evil all the time. If you could put my sins on this wall, Lord, no one would be able to listen to me. But I thank you, Jesus, that you hid my sins and all of our sins in your blood behind the cross. And so now today, Lord, as we look forward to that great day that we celebrate where you defeated death itself, when you rose from the grave, I pray today, Jesus, that we would not lose sight of this story, that we would not buy into worldly theories and philosophies, but that we would keep our face planted in the word of God where we know and believe and trust that you are the Messiah. You are the one that the Father promised to come and to address our greatest issue, which is our sin. Holy Spirit, all over the room, I pray you sweep over your people today and that you begin to show them their desperate need for you, their, your desperate need for you, not for their neighbor, but for themselves, that they stand in need of you, that we are not righteous because we are having this skin or that color. We live here or there. We are not righteous because of nothing of our own doing. We are righteous because we come to believe that you, Lord Jesus, are the son of the living God, that you are the Christ, that you are the Messiah. You are the one who was the just who became the unjust so that we could become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Jesus. This I pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Stand to your feet to be dismissed. Oh, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and forever. Amen. You're dismissed. You're, keep playing that. <clears throat>